Welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. I'm Sean M. Thompson. And I'm Gemma Files. And on the episode today, we're going to be discussing uh, Lake Mungo, the 2008 R-rated film, Hour 27 Minutes, written and directed by Joel Anderson, and starring Rosie Trainer as June Palmer, David Pledger as Russell Palmer, uh, Martin Sharp is Matthew Palmer, Talia Zucker is Alice Palmer, uh, and others. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just start. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, in the same way that I have a certain interest in Canadian horror movies, I have a certain interest in Australian horror movies because my father is Australian and I... I, in fact, have Australian citizenship <laughs> because of him. Yeah, you had mentioned this on the um, the Proof episode. Yeah. Or at least the Australian father. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, uh, recently Mike Davis, uh, Paul Tremblay, and Nadia Balkan were discussing Lake Mungo. Um, and he asked them how they had heard about it. And uh, Nadia said, oh, yeah, I... I I saw Gemma Files talking about it on her live journal. That's how long ago this was. And Paul Paul goes, oh, yeah, you know what? I think I did, too. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently I am the proselyte for uh, for Lake Mungo amongst I, horror writers. I mean, writers. I think what's interesting is, and I had completely memory dumped this, but this was actually part of the After Dark um, Horror Festival. Yes, it was, yeah. And I was like... I think it was eight movies they put out. Yeah, eight films to die for, and I think they did it uh, three times. Yeah, it was some, and I. But honestly, if you ask me with a gun to my head, what are some of the names of the other? No, I mean films. Much, I I could not much tell Lake you. Mungo was the best thing that they ever picked up. Yeah, like Lake Mungo was the one that really. I mean, I think. Mulberry Street maybe was another one. The yeah, guy with the steak yes, land yes, did. Yes, yeah. Mulberry Street is also is also really good as part of that guy's oeuvre. You know, it's yeah. sort of like if you like that guy, why don't you go back and see Lake M- <laughs> Lake Mungo? Why not? Lake Mulberry Street? Why not? Why don't you? Yeah, go back it's and, like people and, turn into. I mean, not yeah. to spoil it, but people turn into rats basically. Exactly. Um, but everything about it is kind of wonderful aside from that main idea. <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah. it's weird. Um, yeah, I mean, but we're not here to talk about that. Right. Uh, right so, right. but I was just, I brought it up Yeah. because sometimes if you look at the film, it's listed as after dark mm-hmm. Lake Mungo or Lake Mungo after dark. Yeah. And it's not, it, it is in fact Lake Mungo. Um, yeah. one of the, so, you know, like I said, uh, I am apparently the the zero point proselyte for this film. Um, and of course, I was told about it by my father, who yeah. is who is an actor. <laughs> so oh, okay. All he right. will email sense. me and say, you know, oh, Yanina and I went down to, uh, you know, the uh, the Australian version of Actra or Aftra and um, and saw this, you know, this movie that we thought you'd be interested in. So here it is. And so I remember that I had to, it certainly wasn't streaming anywhere because streaming wasn't a thing back then, but um, I had to order it in order to see it. And 
yeah, it's good. It's great. In fact, yeah, I think my version is actually, um, I was working at a blockbuster video in Sudbury, Massachusetts, which was like one of the last, <laughs> you know, blockbusters that was still around. I think I started in like 2007. Yeah. Um, but I want to say they had a deal. I mean, don't quote me on this cause it's getting fuzzy now, but I want to say the after dark horror films were in blockbuster. Yes, and that they was were. how I heard about them, and that was, and I think Lake Mungo was actually in Blockbuster for a time, and that's how I found out about it. Yep, they were they were definitely in Blockbuster. I got a lot of really good things when our local bo- Blockbuster went down, um, including the Criterion copy of Videodrome, because people are fucking idiots. <laughs> you know what's funny is <laughs> um, before I left, because the store was closing down and it was it was a thing where like they didn't pay the the DVD distributors. So it was pretty much like, yeah, everything's right. got to go. Um, but we had these lovely boxes, you know, the box art for, for instance, all the alien films and Videodrome, the box art. And I, I just asked my manager, I was like, look, can I just take these? And she was like, yeah, why the fuck not? So, <laughs> so I have a bunch yeah. of... Uh, a bunch of really nice cases, and then if you look inside, they're like burned DVDs of like Alien Two, and <laughs> that's great. Oh man, that's wonderful. That was actually um, I really enjoyed working at Blockbuster, but you know, I mean, it, it, it was what it was. Well, exactly. I mean, I was sort of wanted to to work at a video store, but by the time I wanted to do that, I was <laughs> it was literally way too, a thing way where too like, old, way I've, too old. To this day, even including writing and podcasting all this i've never felt myself more suited to a job it was like I, it was like i peaked at like 20 22 or 23 working at the blockbuster and i was like i will never be this good at anything ever again <laughs> that's perfect okay so um the movie takes place in the small town of Ararat, which again uh it's just outside of melbourne close-ish to melbourne um, they, they basically have to call to Melbourne to get divers, uh, at one point. Um, and my father used to live in Melbourne, so I'm fairly, uh, you know, fairly conversant with Victoria, particularly the way that it looks. And, um, which is why, uh, eventually I wrote a poem called in the background of Lake Mungo, <laughs> which, uh, encapsulates a lot of my feelings about Australia. Um, but it's one of those, uh, it's one of those bush towns, uh, not quite as small as the lovely town of Doreen, which was, uh, which we used to drive through to get to my grandma's place, um, which literally was just a crossroad. All right. Uh, and with, with a sign that said Doreen, <laughs> now entering Doreen, Doreen, now leaving Doreen. All righty. <laughs> but, um, but it is, it is really small and, uh, it's fascinating to realize that their their houses are so far away from each other, um, and yet in the middle of nowhere, and yet nobody seems to lock their door. Yeah, so it's funny. Every time I out. read up about, um, I'm sort of a tangentially interested in true crime. Anytime I hear about some like murder spree or something in Australia, I'm like, how could they get away with that? And then, and then I research about Australia, and I'm like, oh, that's how. Yeah. Yeah, that's how. So it's uh, December the 21st, um, and the Palmers go down to 
go down to the Norval Dam. Um, they're going to have, you know, they're going to camp there and uh, have a nice time and go swimming. Um, and uh, Matthew, decide, the, the son, decides to go out swimming and his, uh, his sister, Alice, goes out swimming with him. Uh, and at some point, Matthew looks back, realizes that Alice is still swimming, but he wants to get out. He gets out. And then by the time he looks back again, she's disappeared. And yeah, and I do think this lends itself to the. Uh, the mystery of her death, which obviously we find more and more about. Yeah. Um, yeah. About Alice Palmer as we go. But, you know, to start, her death is somewhat mysterious in that we know she drowns, but we don't know why yeah, she exactly. drowns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the fact that it's next to the dam means that it's a flooded area. I don't think that there are probably yeah. a lot of currents. Uh, I guess that yeah, could I be mean, true. You, 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 um, I don't actually. So, Lake is Lake Mungo the name of a town, or is it just a, a area? now? Interestingly, Lake Mungo like, is a is a completely different area. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, okay. So yeah, a little and confusing. A, um, uh, and as we find out later, there's a sort of camping site where you can rent cabins, um, and uh, that and Lake Mungo is where Alice went with a school trip. With, okay, so Lake is Lake Mungo anywhere near this dam that she died so. in? I don't. I don't think it's. Like, okay, so Lake Mungo is mainly the name yeah, of the camp. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's the, super near. It, it really seems. Now, is it a dried up mm, lake? You know, it's a good question because it seems like a very, very different type of area. Um, you know, it's yeah. almost like a desert. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of like um, they look like geological structures. Yeah, exactly. And so the lake that we see, I think, is mainly. Uh, the one that she drowned in, which is the lake right next right. to the Norval Dam. This, again, okay. was one of those details that I was noticing this time around because I was in full, you know, analysis mode. Um, so. But, yes, yeah, so we start the film, and it, it's, um, it sounds crass to call it a mockumentary, but, you know, it, it, that's what it is. It's a fake documentary. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could call it a docudrama. Docudrama, yeah. which is what people used to call these things. <laughs> the mockumentary, I think, makes people think of Christopher Guest films. Yeah, exactly. Wacky, 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 or you know. Yeah, but it's not. It's not that. No. It is really not that. Um, yeah, and it's particularly weird when you uh, apply the term. Although I've done it before to found footage films, which uh, which this. Yeah, I guess this is a found footage of, film. Yes, this sort of falls under the rubric. Of, it's sort of a hybrid um, docudrama found footage uh, yes, movie. Because at one point there is some found footage. Ah, literally found. At any rate, um, so you know we begin with uh, the Palmers talking about the uh, immediate aftermath of Alice's death. And um, one assumes that this is probably about at least a year after Alice died. Yeah. Uh, because they're not, well, it's interesting. As you go on, you begin to realize that it's entirely likely that they may not be very emotionally showy people, generally. Yeah. Um, and certainly everybody in 
the town of Ararat seems to share that reticence. You know, uh, they're almost Canadian in how close yeah. in, in how close jawed they are. How you know how close mouth. Yeah, I do think that's interesting. In in that, um, obviously, as an American, I have a wildly skewed view of Australia to begin with. <laughs> it's true, and it, definitely from media as well. But even even with non frankly offensive material about Australia, yeah, um, the Australians tend, they seem to me at least to be a very boisterous life kind of yeah like well some of them are and uh and some of them aren't and right i mean obviously it's not it's like saying every italian person is very boisterous that doesn't hold up with everybody all the people in ararat appear to be and the palmers particularly yeah like sort of buttoned up like suburbanites yeah they are like suburbanites um and (sighs) they're trying to all of them speak ray in particular uh the dad uh, Russell, sorry, Russell, Ray, why not? Russell Palmer, the dad um, in particular, uh, seems to be um, going to great lengths to speak as objectively and logically as he can about what is a horrendously painful moment in his life. And um, Matthew is sort of trying to do the same. Um, and June is the only person who allows yourself to um, get teary-eyed every once in a while. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there are these... I mean, I wonder how much of this, of their um, lack of showiness with their emotions is just that they're in this documentary and they've never been on camera and they're uncomfortable with the whole process. I think that's possibly, that possibly has some do with it as well which leads us into writer director joel anderson's um interesting apparent choice to use people who are not professional actors and also um to work without a script uh paul tremblay um who got the wonderful looking steelbook um reissue the blu-ray um, apparently that comes with a bunch of different interviews. Okay. Um, one with the cinematographer, uh, of Lake Mungo, who is, I guess, Joel Anderson's best friend. Uh, the only person who kind of confirms that the dude's alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and since he hasn't done anything since that, since making this truly remarkable film, um, and uh, he's the guy who confirms that Anderson had a very, very detailed um, outline, but he had no script. That's interesting. And so he would he would give the actors very detailed direction as to what he wanted them to do and what he you know, the points that he wanted them to hit in terms of what they said. But then he would let them improvise. And I think that is part of the strength of the film is it it feels very real yes and i think that's because you're a working with um i mean i hesitate to say non-actors they're just not professional actors yeah they're still acting yeah and um, not having a script to go off of i think that might in ways actually help because it's just okay talk about how sad you are about your daughter the day after and then they get to yeah and i i think I, I'm not entirely sure about this, but I think it's entirely possible that he might have filmed it in linear order. Yeah, I mean, I guess my question to you, um, starting off, would be, yeah, 
when we first meet the Palmers, yes, and it's probably a year after the um, of Alice's death. Yeah, have the events with the um, with the found footage and the the ghostly images have they seen this yet, or have they not? Um, I I think that retroactively they are supposed to have seen them um, okay. because it's like we're reaching the Palmers at the end of their journey. That's what, that's how I interpreted it. But I guess you could also make the argument that it was like a documentary crew followed them from, you know, a year after, and then suddenly this stuff started happening and they followed yeah, them. That's, uh, that's also possible. I mean, certainly, um, well, I, I will say that there's a sort of framing device in terms of the three of them, that shot of the three of them standing in the front yard of the house. Yeah. With their arms around each other, with the window in the back. And then uh, we see it at the beginning, and then we see it at the end. And of course, at the end, something else is revealed about that, about that photo. Um, and I believe that that is a photo that is supposed to be taken right before they get in the car and drive away from the house. Right. Yeah. For the for, for the last time. So um, yeah, I believe that we are we are supposed to be reaching them at the end of their journey. But I wonder whether uh, the actors themselves knew that at the time that they were shooting this. Yeah, footage. because the way they play it is very much like at the beginning they're like. Our, our daughter died and we were grieving, but you don't really get yes. any, th yeah. there's no like fear really applied. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's exactly. the, there's the fear of grief and loss, but there's not like that. There's a ghost in our house kind of vibe yet. No, <laughs> no. no, not yet. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So basically, um, Alice never comes out of the lake. Uh, June makes a frantic call. To the authorities, uh, the authorities have to call in divers from yeah. Melbourne because Ararat is such a small town. Um, and uh, we get testimony of friends like uh, Georgie, uh, Georgie Kim and Jason Whittle, um, Kim being Alice's best friend and Jason being Alice's boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and Jason talks about how uh, he called her mobile phone a couple of times in Nokia uh, to see if it was real that she had disappeared. Um, and Alice's mom talks about, June talks about uh, how she was sitting in Alice's room um, and heard her phone go off a couple of times. And that was obviously Jason. Um, uh, they go home. They've got the porch light on. Um, as Russell says, we still do just in case, just in case she comes home, I guess. Um, and about 14 hours later or 16 hours later, uh, the body is found. Um, and, uh, apparently she's caught underneath a shelf about halfway down in the murk of, uh, the flooded lake next to Norval Dam. Um, Russell agrees to go in to identify her, um, and, there's this amazingly awful autopsy photo, which yeah, uh, the, whoever they got to do the makeup effects, it was very effective, just incredible. And um, yeah, Nadia Bulkin was talking about. I I just can't even believe that 
they showed us that because it looks so much like a real autopsy photo. I mean, it anyway. does, but it also it ties into the the found exactly. footage later. So I guess yeah, they would they exactly. kind of had to. Yes, exactly. Um, but when you're watching it the first time, it it just kind of comes out and punches you in the face. And, yeah, because uh, there's nothing. You know, when we the first like twenty minutes, half an hour of this film, it's there's like a a sadness to it, and there's sort of a low level creepiness, but there's nothing you can pinpoint yet. It's just more the mystery of how their daughter died, and then they find yeah, just unspeakably sad. But this is like the first image we get yeah. where you're like, oh wow, okay, yeah, Joe. Um, a lot of people have talked about. Well, there are three things that people usually complain about with um. With Lake Mungo. The first one is, uh, well, the acting isn't very good, to which I, I always want to I mean, say, <laughs> but, you know, if, if this was a real documentary, you wouldn't be talking about, how, you know, that they were bad actors. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, you, you don't seem sad right. enough for your for your daughter's death. <laughs> you know, it's like if, they, if this was a real documentary, you, you'd be very moved. You know, even though it's not, I am very moved by their performances. Um, secondarily, uh, people talk about how, what a slow burn it is. Um, and I don't see that one. No, I mean, it actually moves quite fast. There's an amazing amount of information that you get told. Um, I mean, if people mean by slow burn, there's not like overtly, yeah. like action is not occurring. Yeah. And I mean, it's a documentary, so that's a documentary. Well, And nothing overtly supernatural your only uh, clue that there might later be something supernatural are are the fact that it opens with a montage of spirit photography and um, yeah, over, yes. overlaid with Jason Whittle saying um, I, I just don't understand how it helps people to deal with their loss making up ghost stories or whatever um, and uh, yeah and you know and the third thing is that you know, it's like it's it's not paced like a like a horror film. Well, no, it's not. It's paced in a very meditative way. It actually reminds me a lot of um, almost like a like a documentary version of a Hirokazu Koreeda film. Um, he's a he's a guy who, uh, if you haven't watched his films yet, uh, he's a Japanese dude, obviously, um, who uh, made an amazing movie called Afterlife, which is about purgatory, essentially. Um, and, uh, a bunch of other films, uh, including, um, uh, including one called pickpockets. Um, but basically any of his films, you, you, you don't really know where they're going to go, but you're interested in taking the ride I mean, I because think that, they are very meditative and very realistic. That's true. I think part of the reason I love this film so much, and I could see yeah. why a casual horror fan mm-hmm. might not is because like strictly because it doesn't play like a regular horror film. Yeah. You know, it's not the traditional, like we're going to establish right away what the threat is, what the fear element is. We're going to have a lot of like kind of midpoint action. Yeah. There's a, there's it, it a, just plays like a documentary to me, yeah, exactly. and, but it, it's just a, it works really well. It's just, it gets under my skin and it just mounts and mounts and mounts and yeah, it works its way under your skin like an infection. And, um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's a, <laughs> uh, I like, I like Netflix obviously, but there's a, there's a thing that I see on Netflix a lot, which is mysterious music, <laughs> mysterious. Oh building yes. Music. Yes. That's and, a- 
yeah, there's there's not a lot of that. There's here. not a lot of telegraph. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is score at some point, yeah, but no, I struggle to remember score, when it even kicks on. Yeah, it is a gradual set of revelations. It is an impingement, an overlapping. Um, and in that particular way, it's a lot like a nightmare. I think what's fascinating about this film, too, uh, yeah, sorry, no, I didn't mean to interrupt, is um, uh, since there is no script, mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's a detail outline yeah. he made, but it, it's all the more impressive because the the progression and the twists and turns are some of the more effective I've seen in recent um, horror films. Yeah. I mean, some of it comes out of editing, obviously, but yeah. But I think also a lot of it is inherent in the material. It's inherent in the story. And it's and it really seems to me like this is something that this guy thought about very deeply and tried to figure out um, everything that kind of goes into the idea of a haunting. And, you know, yeah. it's like there, there, are, there are two big things when you're writing a ghost story and the, you know, um, the fact is that death is a mystery and nobody really knows what happens afterwards. And um, the two inherent things of a ghost story are you have to deal with the fact that there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, well, you know, when you die, that's the end. And, you know, uh, so ghosts don't exist. So fuck you. Right. I'm not going along with this. Um, but everybody likes a mystery. <laughs> yeah, I think there is, yeah, no. there is something, there is something kind of, weirdly numinous about um the seeking aspect of a mystery and so if you can begin with a mystery like why did alice die not just you know well she went swimming the lake and obviously something happened and you know and she died and there fuck you you know it's yeah, like, not no. just the what but the well yeah, why the, what the was why. what led always up to the this why. the why is always more interesting than the what um, in the same way that, uh, well, yeah, because ultimately we all end up as a, what it's like, well, how, why is he in the yeah. tub? You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like nine times out of 10, um, the solution of a mystery is considerably less interesting than, uh, the contortions that you go through to solve that mystery. Well, to quote, uh, Lemmy from motorhead, the chase is better than the catch. Yeah, exactly. And, um, which is why I think Zodiac, Fincher's Zodiac works so well because you don't find you don't out. You get a catch. Yeah. yeah, you you know. But that's but, another one where I hear people just complain yeah. about nothing happens that I'm like, do you even like movies? What are you like, talking about? People were, it's like three people destroyed their lives <laughs> at least. I find you know, often at when least people say people. nothing happened, they mean overtly like yeah. no one blew up or I don't know. There wasn't yeah, like a no spaceship that Nobody landed. got shot in the head. Yeah. You know, it's like we, you know, it's like I got to a place where I thought that's probably the dude. And then he died of a heart attack. (laughs) It's like that's that's about it. Um, So, you know, you're always you're always dealing with that. Yeah. um, With that particular problem. And, you know, in to my mind, the the inherent thing about ghosts is on the one hand, if there are ghosts, then that proves that there's some kind of afterlife, right, which yeah. I guess is sort of good, but what kind of afterlife is there? Right, there's two sides because to it. There are, could be a really nice afterlife, or it could be a well, not living but unliving yeah. nightmare. It could be a really, yeah, it could be a really living nightmare. Okay, so let's go back to to the plot um, because nightmares are the next. It's thing. true, yeah. Um, 
after uh, after Russell identifies Alice's body, um, he says, I really think that that was a mistake. And I think that June should have come in with me because she she didn't get that closure. She she did not see Alice dead. And so I think that's how everything else started to happen. And June starts talking about how she begins to have these nightmares and um, she'll have a nightmare where uh, she'll hear the front door open and Alice will come in. She's wet from the lake um, and she comes down the hall and stands at the uh, at the foot of her parents bed and dripping and just sort of looking at them. And she said, you know, she says, I was afraid, I was afraid to open my eyes. And the implication is because it might be true. Yeah. So, um, so she, so June starts going out, um, and trying to, uh, exhaust herself in the middle of the night. And she, you know, she walks up and down the road in the middle of the night, which is, you know, safer than otherwise might be because she's in the middle of nowhere out in the bush. And, um, but the weird thing is she also starts going into her neighbor's houses and sitting Right. And she mentions this very casually, like I started entering people's homes because I thought, why not? And you're like, all right, that's okay. I mean that you get the sense her grief is so profound that reality no longer matters. Exactly. And what she says is I want, I just wanted to be part of somebody else's life for a while. You know, it's like, yeah, the lives of uh, all the people who, uh, you know, don't have dead daughters, <laughs> whose daughters didn't die in the, you know, die in the lake. And I mean, they wisely don't have any, they don't have a cutaway to someone who's like, yeah, this random woman was in my home. It wasn't great. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was weird. Um, the setups uh, are very Errol Morris to me. Um, but uh, there's a, a sort of stop motion uh, time lapse stuff. Um, where you'll, he'll show like, yeah. a, you know, like the night going by, um, or, uh, a storm going over top of, uh, the Palmer's house, which, um, seemed very Lynch to me. Um, there's that weird, there's, there's like yeah. a lot of shots of, you know, electrical lines and, you know, that whole Lynch thing about how, you know, it's like electricity is kind of evil. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> That's how that's how evil yeah, gets into yeah. the world, <laughs> up and down electrical lines. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, that's definitely. But I mean, I think it it definitely it helps because, and I don't want to, I guess, give it away too soon. Although yeah, obviously, absolutely. full spoilers ahead. But um, I mean, also, yeah, I rarely say this because I feel like it's unspoken. But if you haven't seen Lake Mungo yet, please stop listening to this right now and just go watch the film first. I just <laughs> feel bad, like. Yeah, picturing somebody listening you know, then, to me and then describing come the film back first, and listen to us talk about it because I think it is absolutely a text that rewards study. It's a text that rewards watching yeah, and rewatching no, so. and rewatching because there's always something that that jumps out at you. Um, so, you know, a lot of slow fades, a lot of transit of light. Um, Russell. Yeah, and I I was gonna say I think a lot of that light and the lightning mm-hmm. and the storms. Um, it ties in with where we end up going by the end of the film. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and, and also, you know, June's observation that, um, you know, nature is somewhat like death and death is a big dumb machine that grinds you up. It never stops grinding. It's going to get you eventually. And yeah. you know, it's almost like it's, it's not this thing that happens to you. 
it happens and it keeps on happening and it keeps on happening. And, you know, uh, as long as you're alive to know that you had somebody you loved who died, then you are still in death's mouth to some degree. Anyway, so yeah. um, Russell, uh, Russell says, I just wanted to get on with it. And, you know, his co-worker talks about how ridiculously chill he is in a strange way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's just kind of, you know, putting in maybe a little bit more overtime, but doesn't really seem like he's. Yeah, it's, it's like he's folding. You know, the co-worker says, I didn't want to tell him how to feel, but he, he didn't really seem like he was dealing. Yeah, with exactly. It. It's like he's folded it away. And, you know, Matthew's caught between his two parents, one of whom seems to be going a little nuts and the other of whom seems to be working real hard not to go a little nuts. It's like the the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the pull- perhaps, oh, not, I don't think this is a thing, but, you know, letting the grief really get to, uh, June's letting it really get to her. And then, alternately, Russell is just pretending like nothing well, happened. Yeah, I mean, he he says he knows that something happened, you know, and he saw her dead body. But to him, you know, he's that guy. He's 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 the guy where it's like, well, you know, and he did. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, death. <laughs> you know? um, but he's the one who actually first sees what you could call a ghost. There have been yeah. noises in the house. There have been strange sort of moments. Uh, he dismisses them the way that he always does but um you know yeah he says you know we got an exterminator to see if there were termites and we had somebody check out the roof yeah exactly so but he is the one who's like and then i i was up in the middle of the night and i heard noises from alice's room and i walked in and alice was there and she sat down on the bed and you know um and uh, she checked her phone and she, you know, and she, she didn't seem to know I was there at all. And then I moved a little, I squeaked my, my shoes or something. And suddenly, uh, and suddenly she looked up and I realized that she, she could hear me. And what seems to horrify him more than anything else. I mean, there's a, there's like a jump start in a second, but you know, what seems to horrify yeah. him more than anything else is the idea of him being the ghost in her scenario that there's that this is some kind of overlap of time and there's a lot of that throughout this film which is really interesting there is i think it's very i really love when people will take a more traditional i guess horror approach which is there are ghosts ghosts are Mm -hmm. haunting a house yes and then they sort of extrapolate and pull back and go well, okay, let's get into the mechanics and the science of that. If there was a ghost, that's energy. How yes. did this energy end up there? Is it yeah. like is it like a tape just constantly replaying? Is it a stone tape? Is it like a time fluctuation? Yes. Is it a kind of a rip in the fabric of space-time type of a thing? Or, or just or just a thin spot yeah. where people can see each other on other either side of the divide if they get close enough to it. Um, and what's particularly interesting about this when you think about it within the context of Australian horror films is, of course, that it calls back to Peter Weir's uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, um, which I, you know, a lot of people think of it as an art film, but I think of it as a horror film. Um, uh, you know, you, you yeah, could, I think horror. Yeah, yeah, it is horror. I mean, there's so much that's horrifying about it, you know. Um, and in that, you know, in that, 
again, again, you know, put your put your fingers in your ears. But, you know, I think most people know this. These girls disappear. um, But there's this real feeling that it's like uh, that there is something science fictiony going on, something Nigel Neal going on, you know, um, that perhaps Hanging Rock is a sacred spot for uh, the Aboriginal people because there's a bit of a thin spot there. And that if you don't, if you step in the wrong place, you might just get sucked from one side to the other. I mean, I'm such a, I'm such a sucker for this device, (laughs) which I, you know, no matter how many times people do it, unless it's done really ham fisted, it usually gets to me. It's a real, you know, I, uh, I came of age in the eighties, but I grew up in the seventies in a lot of ways. And, um, and it's a very late 1970s, early 1980s kind of thing. And it just hits me, uh, in some kind of soft spot in much the same way that, you know, satanic panic stuff does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it, it has a very historical, um, reference for me anyway so uh a moment later um she comes running at him alice comes running at russell um and yeah and yells get out get out of my room get out and uh june and matthew come down and they find him sobbing inconsolably on the kitchen floor which is a big big fucking deal for for a dude like russell (laughs) Um, yeah, not yeah no, I mean, for someone who's so stoic for most of the film, just even picturing him, yeah, doing that, uh, like overtly I sobbing. Show it. I love that they don't, you know, try to do some kind of reconstruction. You know, there is so much about this film that is a that is uh, old school ghost story in that it's someone telling you something, not so much you being shown something. Eventually, you're shown something. And it's fucking amazing. But most of it is someone telling you something and you have to figure out interstitially how much of it you want to believe or don't or don't want to believe. Yeah. OK, so uh, I mean, until we get the kind of yeah, exactly, exactly. evidence. Yeah, exactly. So they're not ch- churchgoers. Um, Georgie Whittle says, uh, I don't even know what June believes in. So nobody asks them about what's happening to them and nobody offers them comfort because they don't know what kind of comfort that they would accept. Which is such a sort of low key shitty thing to say, like, Oh, you don't believe in God. So I guess you don't deserve any kind of comfort. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, no, I mean, I know what she meant. Like, Oh, well, I don't, I didn't know whether to say like, well, she's in heaven now. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it might be that. And I think also that they have no script for it. Well, that yeah. too, yes. So um, it's around this time um, after his dad's breakdown and his mother's, you know, <laughs> crazy nighttime excursions that um, Matthew suddenly starts taking time-lapse photos. Um, it seems as though he's been working on his photography for a while uh, because he talks about how he's been taking a backyard photo uh, every three months for the last four years. But yeah. it's at this point that he becomes really interested in um, staging 
photographs, um, which, you know, should tell you something. So uh, on the uh, 3rd of April uh, into the 4th, um, images with what looks like Alice uh, appear first in the, the background of the backyard photo. Yeah. And then weirdly in uh, a videotape taken by someone who is completely apart from the Palmer family um, at the dam. Uh, Right. Yeah. And um, I have all these questions, but I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, it sounds silly to say I don't want to spoil it because it's like, obviously people have (laughs) seen the movie now. Ask them. Um, Okay. So one thing that, struck me on the second viewing was so the father saying that he goes into Alice's room and he sees her and she kind of eventually sees him and tells him, get out, get out, get out. We obviously have that, um, the home video later on. Yeah. The home video where she actually is saying that. And she seems to be saying it to Matthew. Right. Cause was, he's, he's the one who, who took all the videos as far as I can tell. Yeah. So, but what I couldn't, well, I mean, what I I guess I inter- inferred it as there's no way Matthew could have done that because. Well, no, well, I don't know. It's, no, there is no way to do that. There's, it's impossible. It, because, you know, everything else is explained. I mean, yeah, exactly. we'll get to it, but sort yeah. of explained away with like photo trickery and mirrors and all this. But I don't think there's a way to do a 3D mm-hmm. unless you had some really yeah, no. elaborate projector <laughs> system. Yeah, no, I mean, no, it's impossible. Unless, and then uh, we're getting into Scooby-Doo territory. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so. um so basically, uh, this causes June and Russell, um, well, June asks for DNA testing and Russell goes along with it. Um, they yeah. have Alice dug up, uh, DNA testing confirms that it is indeed her dead body, which is buried in her grave. And Matthew sets up a video camera in the home which catches a figure going by um, from one room to another. It's around then that um, it's around then that uh, June sets up an appointment with Ray Kamani, who's a radio psychic who's fairly well known in Ararat, and I guess the environs. Yeah, um, he's uh, he's a Hungarian who's. Uh, Parents um, brought him to Australia fairly early on. He's probably in his, uh, I'd say, 50s, early 60s, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. like late 50s, maybe early Um, 60s. He calls himself Australia's wog psychic of choice, which really tells you something about the (laughs) the very deep-seated racism in Australia, because most of us would be like, Aaron, what? (laughs) It's like, you know, but uh, listen, when my mom was a kid, Talking like the 50s, um, living in Toronto, uh, people used to call Hungarians hunkies <laughs> and they treated them pretty horrible. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what I find interesting about Ray is that from the very beginning, I believe that it's fairly obvious that Ray can read people well. He's, he's good with body language. Yeah. Um, he seems to have a lot of empathy. Um, and uh, I think he would make a really good counselor or uh, actually even really a really good psychiatrist. Um, but something has yeah. obviously happened, which has um, meant that 
at this time in his life, he's drifted into sort of pretending to be a psychic. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not entirely sure that he has psychic powers. You know, he'll he'll say things. I mean, I interpret it as like he he does have psychic powers, but he can't control them. Basically, like yeah, they're not possibly. high level. Yeah, yeah, they might be. High, yeah, it, that's true. He might be an empath. Who knows? Um, you know, he might get occasional waves of something coming off of people. Um, but the things I mean, that he's needless to say, I don't think he's somebody who can, you know, talk to you for ten minutes and go, "You're going to die on the fifteenth of," you know. No, no, absolutely not. But what I what I find interesting is that you know when he's dealing with people one-on-one or even over the phone, he is extraordinarily good at figuring out what their problems are and telling them what they need to deal with those problems. Um, And, you know, he says everything after death is all up for grabs anyways. So whatever people think about death is, you know. Yeah, he almost plays like, like he wanted to figure out a way to become a grief counselor on a large scale and realized if he said he was a psychic, that's an easier way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that he, because he gives him a certain amount of authority. I mean, yeah, some people think he's ooky spooky or a con artist. And to some degree, I guess he is a con artist, but, um, but no, he, it gives him the little bit of, of authority that he needs to get to people who actually really need his help. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm extraordinarily impressed with, you know, the way that he treats Annie, uh, the woman with cancer, you know, uh, where he's going, you're going to die, Annie. It's just the start of something else. All right. And she's crying, but she's like, all right, all right. You know, Um, so she he sets up a interview with June um, and he tapes it. He tapes all his interviews for his clients to review, especially if these elements of trance or hypnotism, because he wants to cover himself, essentially. So, yeah. uh, so if his clients later say, I didn't say that, you put that in my mouth. He can just play the they tape. They can hear yeah. themselves. Yeah, you can just play the tape. Um, better safe than sorry. <laughs> so um, the camera starts to echo June's dream as she talks about it, a more recent dream. Um, Alice's room is definitely the fulcrum of the whatever is going on in yeah. the house because all the dreams seem to, I mean, they all involve Alice, but also they all seem to concentrate around um, the hallway outside of Alice's room and Alice's room itself. And um, so uh, she, you know, she talks about uh, Alice. You know, he, he's he's moving her through look, going into her house and going into Alice's room. And um, she says, Alice is there. She's looking very sad, you know, and it almost seems like a like a, a slightly safer or slightly less disturbing version of Russell's vision. Yeah, of Alice. yeah. Yeah, so um, Ray visits the house. Um, <laughs> the nicest thing Russell can say about him was, is he wasn't ooky spooky at all. Um, Matthew suggests uh, filming a seance that Ray wants to have, uh, and and um, and in the background of 
the seance footage. They're they're all not particularly impressed by the seance itself, but in the background of the yeah. of the seance footage appears to be a detailed image of Alice inside the house. Um, Ray's response to this, yeah, you mean, know, confirms my thesis because he's like, I've never seen a ghost before. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah, you think, okay, yeah. well, that's a little odd. If you are if a psychic, you're not an amazing one because yeah. you never seen a single yeah. ghost, and all you do is talk to people yeah, that are exactly. dying. Um, um, I do like sort of the echoes of the sort of early spiritualist movement and that yeah. sort of uh, question of like, is this real or is it someone kind of tapping their knee on the table? Oh and, yeah, absolutely. And there's sort of that yeah, vibe. There's absolutely that vibe. Um, and I think that's why they, you know, indeed why at the very beginning they have the pictures. Well, it's, it's particularly funny because um, the whole idea of spirit photography came out of the concept that whatever was caught by a camera had to be real. Um, you know, that a camera was sort of this scientific instrument that, yeah. you know, that always caught the truth. And I think that that definitely transmits down to, you know, Pixar, it didn't happen. Um, you know, where's, where's right. the footage? <laughs> you know, it's like, you can say anything, but if you show me something, then I'm more likely to believe it. But, you know, even back then, it's like a lot of those things were faked. And, you know, is that right. ectoplasm or is it cheesecloth? Or, or is it just time-lapse photography? Is it just stop motion? You know? Yeah, is it some kind of uh, degradation in the, yeah. um, yes, the, exactly. the process of making the photo? Yeah, the nitrates, the salt. The, right, you know, yeah. Whatever, whatever you're using to develop the, you know, to develop the photograph afterwards. And, um, again, I think the reason that Matthew trades on Ray's presence to get his parents to allow him to set up cameras around the house, it's very, it's for a very different reason than they think that he's doing it. I mean, you know, he's sort of like, on the one hand, both my parents really need closure. Right. And both my parents and and I'm not talking closure about is Alice dead or not. Alice is obviously dead. Right. They need to but, be able to come to grips with it. Yeah, they need to be able to come to grips with their with their grief and they need to be able to, you know, it's like maybe they need to believe in ghosts. Maybe they need to believe in the afterlife, you know, but obviously something is not there. And I think when Ray comes into the picture, you know, Matthew starts touring around with Ray and he starts watching the way that Ray works with people yeah and i think in a lot of ways he he he's attracted to that because ray's so deeply involved in helping people come to grips with whatever it is that's actually happening to them um but at the same time matthew is also um as we find out you know setting up uh, a con on his parents using the cameras um, yeah, he's basically, um, he's doing, you know, like photo trickery and like uh, messing around with yeah. the footage. Yeah, because this is the next thing. The next thing that we find out is that Matthew turns out to be the figure the figure who previously looked like Alice in the photos, uh, in the, um, not the photos, but the, uh, the videotape uh, taken at the lake. And that one, um, I don't even... 
I mean, well, I guess you could see that as intentional, but you, I almost interpret it as that as like he was just visiting the site again and yes. he was wearing her jacket for exactly. comfort. And I think in a way it kind of inspired him to start. Yeah, I guess maybe strictly. seeing everyone get confused about it and going, well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's it's sort of, you know, it's around the same time as June's urge to get Alice exhumed. Um, and, you know, so the, he's drifting into things the way that human beings do. You know, it's like it's not like he sat down and he figured it out on a piece of paper. You know, it's like this is going to be my strategy. No, it, it's it's very um, it looks like coincidence, but I think what it is is instinct. Yeah do this and then maybe this and I then mean, i think he actually this. says at one point yeah my mother needed closure and the only way she was going to get that was if the body was exhumed and she could see like yeah. here is the body yeah here is the body and, and but he knows that if he just tried to if he just flat out said mom you need to you know yeah exactly exhume her and see the corpse she'd be like uh, no why would i do that yeah yeah exactly i mean you know, uh, the the director asks, do you think what you did ultimately made it worse for June? And June says, I'm not really convinced that Matthew knows why he did it. Um, but it is uh, it's reflected back in other interviews that the Palmers just weren't very coping, coping very well at all at this point. They, they were doing it tough. No, and it turns out, yeah, I mean, Matthew definitely wasn't. I mean, he has this weird... I think in a way it was his coping strategy to do to kind of immerse himself in this um, yeah. fake footage in a way to like almost if other people believe that she's still around, yeah, maybe exactly. I can believe it. So we um, there's a there's a third reason that Matthew's setting up the the uh, the cameras inside the house is interesting and useful, however. And there is a part of me that wonders whether on some level he was hoping to find out what physical reason, that there might be some physical reason, some reason in the real world that Alice died, that Alice, you know, it's like, did Alice kill herself? Yeah. Did Alice allow herself to go down into the lake? You know, it's like that's always the question when somebody drowns, um, you know, did she just, you know, uh, was she just swimming for, for too long and then the cold overtook her? She thought she could get back to the uh, to the lip of the lake and she couldn't, you know, or was there something else that was working on her? And a lot of, you know, we move into a section where June is talking about how Alice had this interior life that she did not understand and she felt that she had no right to understand. Um, and also that June, June felt the same thing with her own mother and her own mother felt the same thing with June that, um, you know, that, ni that none of them could give themselves fully to each other, that none of them could be as transparent as they wanted to be with each other. And I, you know, this, this is human, right? It's like, yeah. eh, nobody knows everything about everybody, but we are sold this bill of goods about familial relationships where it's like, I should be able to look at you and just know what you're thinking, you know, <laughs> and, and we're even sold it about marriage as well. You know, it's like, I should just be able to. Yeah. And I mean, I would argue that's 
incredibly unhealthy. Super unhealthy. Absolutely. Um, like, I don't want to have to be able to look at my mom and know, like, oh, I don't know yeah. who she was having sex with in 1975. I, I know, I know nothing about my mom because she told me. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I should clarify. My mom is a too much information person. <laughs> So at random, it'll be like, yeah. anyway, so when I was having sex, and I'm like, no, 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 mom, yeah, I'm yeah, your son. No. You don't my, need to tell me this. not like that, but, you know, but at one point, you know, we, we were very um, honest with each other because we had to be. Um, I mean, I think honesty is different than someone who just like <laughs> uh, you has know, this weird a, lapsed Catholic confessional need that they still aren't. It, Anyway, so yeah, uh, one of the things that Jean says is the saddest thing in the world to, for me would be if Alice never knew because I didn't tell her that I loved her. Um, and so the cameras are left running as Matthew goes out with Ray on his circuit tour. And um, June and Russell start to drift back together, which is great. You know, so they're not at home as much yeah. before as before either. And while the cameras are running and everybody is not at home quite as often, suddenly um, the cameras pick up a completely different person on the footage. Some not part of Matthew's trickery. It is an actual human being. And the actual human being is, um, you know, again, I think this might be instinct on Matthew's part. I don't totally think that it's coincidence. Um, I think he sees that no one is going to ask what was going on with, with Alice before she died. So they have to see, um, and that's what a camera does for you. And the person that they pick up on the camera is their neighbor, Brett Tui. Um, Brett Tui we find out from uh, interviews with neighbor kids is this dude who seemed like a good bloke. Um, and Alice has been babysitting for him for about four years. And uh, which means that, you know, she was, she was a little kid when she started babysitting for him. Yeah. Important to know. Yeah. Very important to know as it turns out. Um, and because it is, you know, I, I don't want to play devil's advocate here, but you know, seeing, Seeing the documentary when it's made, you go, well, she died at what, 18? She's 16. Oh, well, never mind. And that's 16. really, really, no. Yeah. I lied. So really <laughs> important to keep in mind. So Brett Tui appears to be looking for something in Alice's room. He's Is she like really 16? That's creeping. even worse than I thought. Wow. I know. I know. And he's like literally creeping through the house. Looking yeah, there's this element that I really love about the film going back to the turns where it's like, it's not so much a. It's not so much a twist because a twist, I think, implies that it, mm-hmm. it makes you reevaluate the no. entire film, which I don't. No, it's a beat. It's a, as you say, it's a, it's a beat. It's a turn. It's like we're driving in one direction, and then it's like, oh, yeah, it's not like you're doing a full one eighty. It's like you're going straight. You take a left, and then oh, let's take a right over here. And I love oh, okay. the way they're yeah, able to do this with the found footage, which I think is unique to Lake Mungo, and I have yet to really see done in the same way with found footage films where it's like, here's the found footage, except this is not real. But then we found this. And then when we were looking at that, we found this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about this 
film. I love so much about this film, but that's one of the biggest things that I love about this film. It's like everything is being used to its fullest capacity. Yeah, because, you know, you're, um, when you first watch it, your expectation is like, oh, my God, there's a ghost. And then when you find out Matthew was the one doing it, you... You're sort of disappointed, yeah. like, oh, man, is it just going to yeah, be like oh, a... Oh, man, but then Brett too. But then there's this <laughs> random guy who turns out to be breaking yeah, into their like, home. Yeah, it's like, who's this dude? You know, it's so like, it becomes oh, it's this, guy. like, a back to the mystery part. Guy next door with the Bonza pool where everybody hangs out. Right, and his know. pool parties um, with... Um, why does... Why does he? Why does he want neighborhood teenagers hanging around in his pool? Well, okay. Right. Yeah. Like I invite all the teens. Like okay. Yeah, exactly. June starts looking around in Alice's room, um, which he hasn't done on a any any basis aside from going into Alice's room and crying. I think, and yeah. she finds a safe that Alice had, and uh, inside the safe is Alice's diary and. A videotape and the videotape shows Alice and Brett Tui and Brett's wife Indeed. having sex. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, she was babysitting for them for, you know, um, probably since she was like 12 or something. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I would like to hope that this didn't start happening till she was 15, but that was, that's still pretty creepy. Right. Even if it's like, you know, the year before she died, or even if it's the same year she died, it's still yeah. not okay. No, it's totally not okay. And suddenly you're like, oh my God, this is a real psychological reason for Alice being disturbed and interior. And, you know, it's it's a Laura Palmer moment. Yeah, know? again, so going back to the... Creeping through the... Creeping through the... Uh, the halls of the Palmer house is a bit like, you know, Bob. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it is, you know, I think the we talked off air about the last name Palmer yeah. could be a nod to Twin Peaks. Yeah. I mean Mike Davis definitely thinks it is, but um and I and I'm willing to go with it because, you know, the fact is that Alice is very much a, a Laura Palmer kind of girl. You know, she uh I my my hashtag for Laura Palmer is all is always everybody wants the world's saddest girl. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, she's a lot like that. Uh, there's a lot of footage of her kind of dancing and, you know, smiling at the camera and stuff like that. But then she'll look like she's you, you realize she's just putting it on. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, um, anyway, so uh, Russell is so angry. <laughs> Understandably. I mean, uh, he basically says something to the effect of if I saw him, I'd beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Yeah. He says that he feels that the two are complicit in Alice's death. And I do think that's fair. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, uh, th those are like formative years in a young person's life. And if you, Hell yeah, you know, especially if that's like your first sexual experience, right on top of that. And it's like, yeah, it's, and, yeah, and certainly it's, her relationship with Jason Whittle seems to be very unsexual. Right. You know, and Jason kind of lets slip. That if he had known that this had happened to her or that she was doing this, you know, it's like he would not be dating her. And, you know, so obviously she knew that she'd be blamed. She'd be the person who was like, you know. You almost uh, wonder how much of her even dating him was just more of a, a way to yeah. just appear more normal. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, which again is totally Laura Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, why would she not keep secrets? The unspoken parts of herself, the, the poison of her own choices, you know, it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, uh, an infection in, in this wound that she's carrying around that nobody around her knows about. And also the people around her don't talk about anything. <laughs> you right. know, it's like, how, how's she going to bring it up? You know, I everything's mean, it's just comes so in, great that they're able to, you know, you start and it's, it's a mystery and then it's a ghost story and then it's back to a mystery. But now we've sort of unlocked, I mean, literally unlocked some of the mystery and it's actually a crime uh, drama. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, so June's going through um, Alice's diary. She finds Ray's card and it turns out that Alice got in touch with Ray before she died. And um, this is when the Palmers lose their their only version of a grief counselor. Right. These are people who would literally rather talk to a psychic than a psychiatrist. This um, is true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ray says, I was honoring Alice's request for confidentiality. He's acting like a professional, you know. Um, but all of them are angry at him when this comes out. Um, even, even, even Matthew is angry at him. You know, he says, I wanted to help the family and I think they wanted me to help them, but I wouldn't have been able to do that if they'd known. Which is true. If he had, if they had, you know, asked, Hey, can you do a, can you help us out? And he had said, well, I actually talked to your daughter. Suddenly it's not only they don't want him to help. They'd be wondering, well, did you do something? Yeah. Like, did you implant something in her head that made her want to do this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, what were you filling her with ooky spooky stuff? You know, right? About, you like, hungo. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes. <laughs> you, you hunky. <laughs> hunky, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, when when they say Alice kept secrets, she kept the fact that she kept secrets a secret, um, which is one of June's lines right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, the question is always, how do you know when you're keeping secrets for good reasons versus you keeping them for bad reasons? Um, and so the, the two narratives are Alice was traumatized and internalized it because of who she and her parents and everyone in town were. Um, she knew she'd be blamed for being groomed by these pedophiles, let alone, you know, essentially raped by them. Yeah, I mean, um, it's unfortunate, but we still have this attitude where if someone is the victim of sexual abuse there's always that well they must have wanted it in some way yeah exactly you know it's like uh, which is so she, fucking ridiculous because if someone gets shot in the face we don't go well they must have maybe they shouldn't have been wearing that if they didn't want to get shot in the face yeah, yeah exactly except everybody went to his pool uh wearing right, almost yeah. nothing because it's fucking australia yeah um so you know and that drove her to act recklessly down in the weir and drown was she trying to kill herself? And then while trying to deal with that afterwards, her family finds out why. But Alice didn't have a dream of what comes next. That was something that was captured on a phone. That was Which something. Is so creepy. Jesus. This moment. I mean, I keep waiting yes. for this moment to not give me chills. And it always does. <laughs> no, it, it it's there's no way that that moment can well you know probably some motherfucker out there is like you know it's like oh i saw it and it wasn't all that you know yeah, but i mean what i love too is about seeing what she sees um that 
will always chill you and her reaction and I mean it's you know, it's, just... it's not even just the footage it's the implications of the footage and and I do yeah. like that this is pre this is pre smartphone like yeah. pre you know iPhone everyone has an iPhone and yeah. has pretty okay. good high yeah. quality this is working within the grain of a Nokia cell phone video yeah, and a lot of the, almost, you know it's almost like, like pixel vision it's like yeah, super and it, pixel. it lends itself because it isn't a crystal clear image. It just makes it more disturbing somehow. Yeah. So June recognizes the dream that Alice is retelling on Ray's on Ray's tape. Yeah. You know, it's like, and she's like, Alice had a dream seven months before she died. That was the inverse of the dreams that June had after Alice's death. In other words, Alice is like, I'm walking, you know, it's like, I feel, I feel like something terrible is going to happen to me. I feel or like it already happened has to happened to me. Um, it's on its way. It hasn't reached me yet. You know, I have dreams where I can't move very well. I feel cold. I feel wet. I'm walking home and I open the door and I go in down the hall and I stand at the bottom of my parents' bed and I hope that they'll open their eyes and see me. But they don't. <laughs> you know. And this and I mean the dialogue in this yeah. I don't know if it was ad libbed or if it was actually scripted or yeah. kind of you know, if the director gave them like here's the main points to say, but it just works really well. I know, it's beautiful. Yeah, and there's the terrible line and then I realize there's nothing anyone can do for me anymore. <laughs> it's it 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 approaches the afterlife and being a ghost in such a sad way. Oh, super sad. So the next once you twist, get over the fear, it's it's just so like yeah. Oh yeah, it's very depressing. Well, you're locked in a loop. You're locked in some kind of loop. Yeah. And what did you do? What was the mistake that you made? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Okay, so the next turn is that um, I think, you know, June finds in her diary uh, that seven months ago, what happened was uh, she and Kim and the other kids went on a school trip to Lake Mungo. Yeah. And uh, it's around that time, I don't know whether June asks Kim, if anything happened at Lake Mungo, but uh, Kim Woodle, Jason's Jason's sister and um, Alice's best friend, uh, starts looking through the video footage that she took on her phone and while she was up there. And she finds something that she shows Jason, and Jason tells June about it. And, you know, it's the usual bullshit the kids get up to. You know, yeah, the drinking. they're like, you know, drinking, yeah. partying. Yeah, drinking, partying, but off in the middle of nowhere is Alice burying something under a tree. She's upset. She says she lost her phone. Kim says, she didn't say anything to me and I didn't ask. And there's footage of Alice going off by herself earlier. And then afterwards is when she's upset and she's burying her phone. Yeah. And, um, and June wonders what between that and that. What is it that happened? So the family goes to Lake Mungo. 
Um, they rent a cabin, uh, and they trace the same nighttime path that Alice must have taken. Um, you know, Russell says, we didn't want to go during the daytime because people might ask us what we were doing. <laughs> but, Which is a you great, know, I yeah, mean, if there is any wise. moment where I'm like, yeah. okay, film, I mean, I get yeah. it, but it's like, really, yeah. you didn't want to go during the daytime? Because <laughs> I would go there during the daytime, man. But, uh, you know, it probably helps them. No, I mean, it, it probably would help them find it. But just as the viewer, you're like, why? Just yeah, daytime exactly. it. Why would you do that? So, Who cares if um, someone goes, why are you digging? You just go fuck off. Yeah, exactly. So they start digging under the tree. Um, they find a plastic bag in which Alice has put her most precious things. Um, a ring, a necklace um, that uh, June didn't even notice was like her favorite necklace that June didn't even notice was missing. Yeah. Uh, and her phone. And it's almost like it's almost like she was digging her own grave or she was making a sacrifice to fend something off because um, because when you go back to Kim's footage, Kim's like, what are you doing? You know, and she and she says, stay, stay far away from me. Is it advice or is it a prayer? She says, stay away. And that's almost like the get out of here. Get out of my room. Um, so what is on the phone? What is on the phone is Alice walking through the dunes at Lake Mungo, seeing a figure very far off, a dark figure yeah. moving towards her closer and closer. And when she's finally up close enough to see its face, its face is the face of the autopsy photo. It's, um... You know, that horrible white skin drowned. And the sort of eye sealed shut. Eye sealed shut. The 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 horribly uh, blown up lips that look like she's, you know, she looks dead. She looks drowned. She looks like she's been under a shelf yeah. for 14 to 16 hours. You know, um, she looks like fish should be feeding on her. And um, this is a doppelganger. And the original idea of a doppelganger is that a doppelganger is a symbol of impending death. It's an omen. You know, it's like, can you, it's an image. We know that it's an image of her future. She probably, right. she probably understands. She's not a dumb girl. She probably understands it's an image of her future. And this sacrifice that she made bearing her phone seems to be, like a way that she was trying to fend it off, but there's no sense that she could ever have avoided it. As yeah, because you go through, well, okay, yeah. it looks sort of like a drowning victim, so maybe she shouldn't swim, but it's like, well, what, is she just not going to swim for the rest of her yeah, life? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Russell himself says that he doesn't believe that Alice thought that she was going to die because in in some way... How do any of us think that we're like none die? of us believe we're actually yeah, going to die? Yeah, you know, it's like she's, we know we're going to die, but we don't know. Yeah. No, yeah, he says she saw a ghost and she wasn't a no; it was her own. And this is this is, you know, what we believe to be the climax. Um, it makes sense, you know. It's like, yeah, she she saw it. It was physical. She caught it on her phone. Lake Mungo used to be an Aboriginal sacred site, like Hanging Rock. 
is it an image? I was about to ask, is there any significance yes. to the area? Yeah, and it I is. was wondering, yeah, apparently, you know, I do wonder on rewatches. I mean, of this, again, this is something that, uh, Tremblay, um, you know, picked up from the extras of the, uh, uh, of the Blu-ray, but I believe it because again, I think it is referencing Hanging Rock. You know, um, yeah, and it, I do, I do think there. You're meant to think that there is, and I think this is why there's so many images of lightning yeah. and thunderstorms and electricity and lights. You're meant to think that there's something otherworldly about Lake Mungo. Yeah, that either allowed uh, Alice a glimpse of her own future. Yeah. Or outright caused her to die. Yeah, and I think it really was more a glimpse of her future, but would she have seen it at all if she hadn't already been psychologically vulnerable enough to see it? You know? It's like, if you go to Lake Mungo in a particular kind of state, then you might see yourself. You might see the way you're going to die. You might see the way you're going to die if you don't change something. But again, to change, you would have to talk. You would have to tell your secret. You would have to bring it out in the open. And it's really hard. It's really fucking hard, you know, to break yeah. the family, to break the image of the family. I mean, it is sort of, in a way, a cautionary tale about mm -hmm. bottling up trauma. Absolutely. It's totally. Because if she had, I mean, yes, I think she would have had other problems if. She, you know, mentioned what had happened with the neighbor, but I, I don't well, know. She had the Maybe. tape, you know, it's like she, she stole the tape from them because she didn't trust them anymore. And, you know, yeah, it's it, true. to, to show her parents that tape would be, you know, ripping the plaster off a wound, you know, it would be traumatizing them the way that she'd been traumatized. But, you know, but it's also important to note she was 16 when she died. Yes. I I mistakenly thought seventeen or eighteen, but um, but it's important to note because she's still a teenager, and it's very easy. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. As an adult, to go, well, I would have, but it's like, do you remember being a teenager? No, I totally remember. You do something teenager. small and stupid. You don't want yeah, to tell exactly. people. You, I mean, I totally remember being a teenager. You get a little ding on the you car. Know, you don't want to tell I your want mom. To tell, you know, my parents, if I, particularly if I had an intact family, which I did not grow up with, you know, if I had an intact family, would I want to tell my parents that I'd been that dumb? You know, and that I had done something that had altered me so badly, you know, would I want to tell my parents if I thought that my dad would go next door and kill <laughs> Brett Tui, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and then there's the other question of what do you think would have happened if she had kept the phone and shown her family the footage? Sorry, what? Uh, I said, what do you think would have happened if she had kept the phone and then that she buried and shown her family this footage of what appears to be her dead? I don't know what would happened if would have happened if she'd kept that phone, but I can totally understand why she didn't want to keep it. Well, I can. I mean, I don't think I'd want to. If I saw my own dead visage on yeah. the phone, I think I'd throw that thing in a lake. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, it's like again. You know, it's like. I mean, do you even want to watch it again? Like, do you <laughs> want to like remind yourself? No, that, you would never want to. Watch I think it you'd again. want to think it was it was not real. Yeah, you would totally want to think that it was not real, and you know, it's it's magical thinking, but so much 
of psychology is magical thinking. You know, if I think bad thoughts, bad things will happen to me. If I think good thoughts or I just don't think about that bad thing that happened to me, then nothing more bad will happen to me. And it's, it's, it's so hard. It's so hard. You know, this is a lesson that we learn over and over and over in, in life. And this film gets it across so beautifully, so beautifully. So after seeing this footage, um, the, the Palmers reframe, they reframe themselves as a family without Alice. You know, they uh, they solve the whole thing and they heal with Ray. And, and they, yeah, this they should be the triumphant yeah, they get closure. ending of, yeah, this should be, well, they finally know what mm-hmm. happened. I mean, to an extent, I don't think they'll ever know truly exactly. what happened. Exactly. But in hindsight, all they've really but, done is collectively made a decision to move on, like, like Russell always said. You know, it's like we yeah. didn't change anything. We didn't help her. We just learned maybe what might have led to her Exactly. June says, sometimes I just forget that she's not coming back. But she says it wistfully in that way that you do. It's like, no, actually, I do remember that. It's like that that time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter between me going, oh, is that Alice? Alice is dead. Yeah. Ray guides June through saying goodbye, does that thing. Again, where it's like you're walking through the, you know, you're opening the door of your house, you're walking through the door of your house, you're walking down the hallway to Alice's room. But, and, you know, but at the same time, it's folding over with Alice's version of the guided tour. And June looks around, doesn't see Alice. Alice isn't here. Alice is gone. And Alice's version is... Someone's coming in. It's my mom. She's not saying anything. I don't know. She's, I don't think she knows I'm here. June says, Alice isn't here. She isn't here. And, um, and then she, she I, I, and I turn and I walk out and Alice says, yeah, she turns, she's turning. She's going now. She's gone. And you know what we, and, and that's the moment that we're like, oh no. I actually think maybe there is another thing coming. Yeah. That cold moment where you're like, no, 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 no. I mean, a lot of ways it's like, because this is a doppelganger story, there's a lot of echoing in this film. There's a lot of this echoes this. There's a lot of this is the same as that. This is almost like this other thing. And this is the moment where all that comes together. Yeah. So as her family gets into their car and drives away from the house for the, for the last time, having sold it, they're going to move to Melbourne. They're going to have a nice life. We realize that in the background of the uh, last photo that they take of themselves in the backyard, uh, Alice is standing inside the house. And we can see her through the window. And as the credits begin to roll, we realize that in every bit of footage where we've been told that what we saw that we thought was Alice was not actually Alice, 
Alice was actually there. Yeah, and like they pan over. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's one, you know, it'll be like instead of the fake Alice footage that's in the mirror, they yeah. look and to the right, there's like actually Alice. Yes. And so Alice has constantly been there. None of them saw her. None of yeah. them understood that she was there. And now she is left behind in her old house. I mean, in a way, it's like the prequel to the ghost story of whoever moves in. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Um, you know, one can only hope that that would be the saddest ghost story in the world, where it's like this real mopey ghost who you occasionally see, and you're only frightened because you're like, oh shit, that must be a dead person, right. <laughs> you know? Um, because, you know, the people that she had any kind of connection with are gone, you know, and none of them saw her, none of them knew None of them heard her. And if that she is, was I think, anything. the inherent irony of Lake Mungo is it's a film that frames yeah. itself around the fact that it's a ghost story. And then there's a fake, there's fake found footage of ghosts. Mm -hmm. And yet there's real, there's a real ghost and they don't see her. Even when they're exactly. making the fake ghost footage. Exactly. Or when Matt is. So the, so the question is, you know, can you only see ghosts when you want to see ghosts? Was Alice working on them the whole time, kind of helping them to find, to take that? Was she the GPS on that, on that, you know, that road trip? I mean, I think you what know, Lake Mungo is great here, at is here. It, it leads you to all these really, really interesting questions. Like one of yeah, my questions is, did she is, want help or, did and Matt, not get it? Thinking he was doing the fake footage for his mom, did he start doing that though? Because on some level... Alice was communicating with him to set up the cameras. Yeah. What did. Yeah. Even if it you was can, just to catch every, the neighbor and then in turn they could learn what happened to her. Yeah. Yes. At every branch in the, at every branch in the narrative tree, we ask ourselves, was Alice, did Alice have any agency in this at all? Because this is the, this is, this is the tragedy of Lake Mungo. What agency does Alice Palmer have before or after her death? What kind of real agency does she have? And this is particularly true when you look at, you know, the last, the absolute last moment right after all of the credits, where we essentially see Alice standing out at Lake Mungo in the dunes with lightning going off illuminating her and she has become her own ghost she has become that doppelganger yeah yeah and um you know did did we talk uh did we talk about that last credit the uh the reference to someone with joel anderson's last name um uh we, just before the credits roll i don't know if we did it on yeah. air Okay, so just before the credits roll, we see uh, we see a reference to um, a man who I want to say is called Ray Anderson. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I, uh, and underneath are you know like what looks like a birth date, what looks like a death date. It doesn't say R.I.P., but you know that's the way that you reference people who have died just before or during the filming of something. And um, 
it makes me wonder whether the reason that Joel Anderson hasn't made another film, even though this film is so fucking brilliant, that he could have certainly gone on to make other films, is because this was an obsession. I mean, definitely this was an obsession of his yeah. because he worked very obsessively on it, but, but that, that it was personal, like a really personal piece of work about grief and about the concept of haunting and about the concept of fate and about, you know, how we can know things and never know everything that, you know, at the end of every mystery, there's still one more mystery, and that mystery is what happens after we die. It's true. Or are the people that we love gone forever? Yeah, I do think it's a, you know, it's a... And what's worse, that they're gone forever or that they're, you know, that stuck they're in not. a loop? Yeah. Yeah, or that they're not, yeah. They're, they're stuck in a loop. They're stuck... <laughs> they're because stuck as much as I'd love to think that my grandmother who died last year is yeah. still around in some form... She's in my grandfather's house haunting him. <laughs> exactly. And if, if he true. ever ends up moving, when he, he is 90 now, so if he ever ends up with my mom in her house, well, what happens if my grandmother's ghost is still in that house? She's just going to be there. Well, this, Yeah, this is it. I mean, how much freedom do you have after death? You yeah, know, like, are, are you allowed to leave? Or? Yeah, are you allowed to leave? Do you only exist while people remember you? There's that phrase that people often say, you're still alive as long as there's at least one person who re remembers you. But is that, uh, is that a blessing or is it a curse? Now, I wanted to ask you, because you know a little bit more about this film than I do. Do you know if, if the filmmaker and the actors got along while they were making this? I don't. I don't know anything about that. Okay. All right. Because that was the only other thing I could come up with is maybe, <laughs> maybe the actors and the filmmaker had such a miserable time that they decided let's never do this again. Uh, well, it's certainly true that, um, you know, I, I made a short film once and uh, for a while I, I genuinely felt like um, the woman who I, I not exactly hired, but she volunteered to be my, uh, my second unit director, <laughs> I, I felt like uh, she had she had literally quit doing doing film because of how bad that shoot was, which is why, by the way, I'm not a filmmaker. <laughs> but um, I mean, I showed you my short film. We know why I'm uh, not. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, no, I like to control everything. And, you know, as I used to tell my students, the only way that you can control everything is to write a fucking book. It's you know. true, yeah. And I mean, filmmaking is such a collaborative process in a way that's really great when yes. you like everyone. But I, there's other ways. Like when I made a, a student film in college, we had a film class and I like wrote this a very elaborate, you know, script and yes. researched into the architect of UMass Dartmouth. And I think his name was Paul Rudolph. And he was, you know, it got into this interesting stuff. And then, of course, what happens is the guy with the most money and resources takes it over Mm -hmm. completely like restructures the script while he's filming it does completely his own vision. And I'm just sort of yeah. left in the dust. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the sad thing that, um, the writer has to accept, you know, that, uh, they're essentially making a map that other, or a set of blueprints that other people are going to not so much follow as, you know, <laughs> restructure as they're doing it. But it's sort of like a recipe that people go, well, 
Yeah. What if instead yeah, of exactly. pepper, we just used paprika? And what if instead of a turkey, we made it a ham? And what if instead <laughs> of baking it, we smoked it? Exactly. And you're like, And wow, then by the good. end, you're like, what the hell is this? This isn't anything like my recipe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the happiest thing would be if it was still really delicious. Yeah. If it was, say, sometimes uh-huh. it ends up better than your recipe. Sometimes it ends up like a pile of mud and you're like, why would you make this? That's true. But Lake Mungo is not a pile of mud. No, Lake Mungo. I mean, there is something to be said, too, about writer-directors and that control, at least over, if you deviate, the only person you're blaming and, you know, fucking over is yourself, your past self. So That's also true. Uh, yeah, sort of like when you buried that phone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's a very well-structured film. Very, very creepy. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, this this to me is one of the is one of the unsung um, classics of the aughts, and yeah. also I I think it is um, I think it's an ur text that people should they owe it to themselves if they're interested in constructing really worthwhile weird fiction. They owe it to themselves to see it. Absolutely. I mean, it's a shame that I was looking at the what they made. You know, the budget was it was pretty small. I think it was a million or something. Yeah. Which is crazy to say because, you know, like film cost is not even close to actual people money. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so crazy to say, but a million is like very cheap for a film. I think a um, lot of it probably had to do with um, uh, with sound, sound quality, because they shot on like you you can tell they shot on like a million different, you know, um, yeah, yeah, types true. of cameras. Um, so consistency of sound quality and getting the sound as good as humanly possible. That's like the best thing that you could be doing with that. Yeah. And, and loop, um, looping is hard. Looping is really fucking hard. So. But I do think they almost wisely understood these are our limitations. Why don't we work within those? So yes. we only have a cell phone that takes this grainy, shitty yes. footage. But what but if we made it a certain – Yeah. What if yeah. we made it like somebody who had been bloated and almost had what nature like make them um, – what's the right word I'm thinking of? What if nature had de-scaled them? Well, like like a Trevor like a Trevor Henderson character, like a slimy swamp ghost. Yeah, like what if nature had degraded them in the same way that the footage would be degraded due to picture quality? Yes. 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 I would not watch No, a of course not. It would not look like that. I mean it would it would get very it's old. Perfect. It's perfect for a moment like that. Perfect for a moment um, like that. And indeed it echoes how horrifying that that moment is right at the beginning where we see the autopsy photo the autopsy yeah, photo very is very clear, well taken yeah. this is the degraded echo of that autopsy photo yeah so you know it's like i i got to say that everybody that i've ever um introduced this film to has later gone on to do things where i can see the echoes of lake mungo but they're wonderful echoes the kind of creative echoes that you know are beautiful where you you're like you were really fucking thinking about this and i'm glad you know 
And um, that's what I think that's what I think a, a, a work of art should be. It should be something that finds people who can appreciate it and then they yeah, go and off I, and make I mean, their I own would stuff. say if you look at how much money this movie made, obviously it was very it was a very, very small yeah. amount. And I do wonder if maybe that had something to do with um, the filmmaker deciding, you know, why would possibly. I put this? Yeah, possibly. But on the, on the other hand, uh, a lot of people have have had the same thing happen to them, yeah. particularly Australian people, and have, you know, later gone into making Australian TV, if nothing else. I mean, I, I always used to say that when you look at uh, how how few movies some Canadian directors make it's like well what were they doing between here and here they were yeah. making TV that's what they were doing and you know at least in at least in uh, Canada it's like right, they were making yeah. American TV um, and, <laughs> yeah. but I mean I you know sometimes it's important to Australia's, you know well first of all I mean I don't have a sales figure for the amount of DVD sales and the cost of Blu-rays and all that I'm sure by this point they're working their way back up but you don't know how much the filmmaker hopefully. sees of that hopefully but you know you don't know how much of yeah you don't know how much money uh, of that uh, how much of that money um, the eight films to yeah, die no, for people got um, but yeah I think as just as a impressive horror film yeah it's definitely i mean this came out in 2008 so yes it wasn't that and you I, know. I think it's crazy maybe not crazy that's a little hyperbolic it's impressive that people are still finding out about this film and talking about this film so many years later when if you again if you asked me with a gun to my head what came out in 2008 i would be like i'd have to look it up <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm bad that way too. <laughs> Somebody had to remind me the other the other day that uh, two films that I like came out in uh, a particular year. <laughs> you know, I think it was like 1996 or something. <laughs> and all right, I went like, oh yeah, they did both come out that year. Oh, oh well. <laughs> but yeah, great film. Um, I where where did I? Oh, I watched this on. Recently got an AMC add-on to my Amazon Prime, and it was on there. Oh wow! Yeah, actually, That's it's amazing. really weird because I got there's some deal yeah, now where you can strange. do two months for like basically two bucks. Mm -hmm. But it. Well, I I wanted to talk about this on a different podcast, uh, Norm Wilner's um, somebody else's movie, and we could not find any place really where it was. This must have been recent then, point. because yeah, it's on AMC yeah, plus on uh, attached yeah, this, to prime, this, but I guess recent. that would also be AMC. Um, but I think it has a lot to do with the fact that that nice Blu-ray just came. Right. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like previously I, I was like, well, I've got it on DVD, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can meet up in public and I can slip it to you. Like I'm giving you drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but no, um, so we ended up talking about something else instead. It so, might be, but I'm actually, no, it isn't on Shutter. I was about to say it might be on Shutter, but I don't think it is. It might have at one point been on no, Shutter. Maybe. I don't Hard know. To say. Um, apparently, Nadia Balkan says that at one point it was on American Netflix. Okay. But it's not anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, but anyway, it's on, 
it, it's on Prime. So, I mean, you can either do the AMC thing or you can just, I think you can just rent it at this point on Prime. Yeah, exactly. So, do it. Do it. Yeah, you owe it to, I mean, Make if you're it. a horror fan, you owe it to yourself to watch this movie. Um, exactly. I'm going to probably force my mom to watch this and regret it instantly when she has nightmares. <laughs> She was telling me about that third Conjuring movie doing it for her. And I'm like, oh, honey, if this bothers you. <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. This ain't no third Conjuring movie. No, as great as that was. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> okay. thanks for coming back on, Gemma. Um, Always my pleasure. Is there anything, because I haven't really asked this before, anything you want to plug while you're on? Uh, as, as you know, if you know me, uh, I have a book out right now called In That Endlessness, Our End, which is a collection of, um, pre, pre-pandemic, uh, pandemic fear kind of stuff. Um, so if you, if you're interested in picking that up, that would be wonderful. Uh, I have also written many, many short stories and, uh, five novels so um experimental film is usually a good place to start um in one way or the other this has been wonderful thank you very much for having me on yeah no problem um i would also add i run a press called nictitating uh books and i have a full-length collection known as screaming creatures throughout through that also an ebook called astrum which Admittedly, you could probably see a little bit of Lake Mungo in. Um, maybe a little. a little. Maybe not so, so much. It's a lot more X-Files no. in there. That's the obvious one. That's true. And it's awesome. Uh, we're on anchor.fm slash celluloidsits. We're on Twitter at celluloidsits with a Z. Um, we have some of the catalog up on YouTube. Admittedly, I've been slow to you know, get the rest of season two up on there, but it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's it for now. I think eventually I'm going to have merch, but I don't really have any news on that yet. So. Well, just remember if you catch a doppelganger on your phone, don't bury it. Should you not bury it though? I feel like that's valid. I don't know. Well, it was magical footage. Maybe she couldn't delete it. Oh, it's true. It was magical footage. My husband says maybe she couldn't delete it. Maybe not. Um, but anyway, yes, this has been uh, Cellulite Citizens. Uh, I'm Sean M. Thompson. I'm Gemma Files. And yeah, uh, don't drown to death. <laughs> that's a that's a good one to go out on. Yeah, all right. That's good. <laughs>